We are studying Hebrews chapter 4 here on the Radio Bible Course, and we're happy that you joined us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. In our previous program, we gave an introduction to chapter 4, giving some background on the Israelites in the wilderness, and I can't think of a better analysis of that wilderness journey and how the Israelites doubted God than what Scripture itself tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm reading from verse 1. I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the supernatural rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are warnings to us, not to desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, quote, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to dance. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. That is an appropriate introduction to Hebrews chapter 4. Listen now to the opening verses of chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest remains, let us fear, lest any of you be judged to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us, just as to them. But the message which they heard did not benefit them, because it did not meet with faith in the hearers. Implied here in verse 1 is the fact that Canaan was not the ultimate rest for those people, or for us. Listen again. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest remains... Now, this was written in the first century, but the people of whom he has been speaking and the time of those people was the 14th century B.C., and yet he says, while the promise of entering his rest remains, he must be talking about a rest other than the land of Canaan, and of course he is, because the writer wants to bring the first century Hebrews, to the place of spiritual rest. 
Who entered the land if the children of Israel did not enter? Their children did. And in David's time, 400 years after Moses, they possessed most of it. Yet Psalm 95, written by David, warned of not entering God's rest. And just a portion of that psalm will make you aware of what David was facing and understood about these people over whom he was ruling. David said, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as they did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation, I said. They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And that oath was fulfilled. They did not enter his rest. Why not? Hebrews chapter 3 told us at the end of that chapter, verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, we see that the promise of entering remained for the Hebrews in the first century and for us today. But here's a warning. He warns here that some might miss the spiritual counterpart of Canaan. And he uses the word fear, a word used often in Hebrews, especially in chapter 10, but never to fear that faith might not be enough. It is enough. The fear is concerning unbelief and the subsequent judgment that a person faces if he does not believe. And then there is the fear of falling into the hands of the living God, which will be brought up in chapter 10, verse 31. Men need to fear. They need to fear about doubting God. They believe men, and yet men are liars. Not only does the Scripture say that all men are liars, but we know it from experience. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, there is an exhortation to work out our salvation. But it doesn't say, work for your salvation. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. It's a call for serious respect of the one we follow. Why? Because some might fall short of attaining that goal, which is heaven or eternal life. But might you fall short because you didn't try hard enough? No. Because your behavior wasn't perfect? No. Because you didn't perform meritoriously or religiously? Not at all. Verse 2 explains why. It says, For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message which they heard 
did not benefit them. Why not? Because it did not meet with faith in the hearers, the writer tells us. And that's an explanation of why they needed to fear. They had good news promised by God as we have good news today. And good news is the gospel of grace, that God has offered salvation to us as a gift. Well, they had a promise. They had good news. You might even want to call it a gospel because the word gospel means good news. And the good news was that God had promised to give them the land of Canaan. He said he would lead them to it. He said he would deliver them from the enemy. He would drive them out before them. And he asked those people to trust him. Well, they heard it, but hearing doesn't save anybody. I fear that in many churches, people don't understand this. They tend to suppose that hearing the Bible read, whether it be at a funeral or at a marriage or in church on Sunday morning, that that brings a guarantee of security. Hearing, mind you, is essential, absolutely essential. And Jesus even brought out this point in John 5.24 when he said, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me. It, of course, is necessary before one can believe to hear the word of God because the object of our faith is the promise of God. And if you don't hear, then what will you believe in? What will be the object or the point of your faith? We can't believe something that we dream up or wish will come true. Faith is always tied to what God has promised. You cannot have faith in something that God has not promised. Many people are doing that, and they are utterly disappointed when they don't get what they said they trusted God to give them. Well, they had no right to trust God for it because God never promised it. Now, let me add this, that even being partakers of physical blessings, such as healings and prosperity, are not assurances. Neither are receiving gifts, whether they be prophecies or signs. Israel had all of those but they didn't believe God. That's why Romans 10.17 points out that faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Not hearing preachers, not hearing Bible teachers, hearing the Word of God. Oh, a preacher is very useful if he uses the Word of God. But as soon as he departs from it and gives us his own ideas, then our faith vanishes because we cannot trust in the word of men. And a good Bible teacher knows that. He will expound the word of God, not his own ideas. So Paul wrote, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith is not the same as hearing. Hearing God's word generates faith. It stimulates it. But man must rely on what is heard from God. And Israel did not. And you may not. Now verse 2 tells us that they heard good news. And he says, For good news came to us just as to them. 
Now, after reading these first two verses, you may get the feeling that the writer to the Hebrews had a certain anguish that these people have been hearing. But apparently they aren't believing they're very much like their ancestors in the Old Testament who heard God. And the writer tells us, for good news came to us, just as to them. What good news has come to us? That Jesus Christ. Christ is the Son of God who was sent by God. He was first mentioned by the prophet Moses when God said he would send him. He would be a new prophet and he would be the Savior and he would be the ruler. And throughout the Old Testament, we have these promises about the Savior King who would come. He's called the Messiah. In the New Testament, he's called the Christ. It means the anointed one of God. And we have good news that he came and did the work necessary to save every man, woman, and child who ever was born or will be born. He paid the penalty for sin. And because the penalty was paid in full, God is willing to forgive everyone who will depend upon that. That's what believing is, and that's what trusting is. Not many people believe. They say they believe in Christ, but saying it is not believing. Our new booklet, entitled Heaven's Password, we think will be of great help in explaining what it means to believe. Heaven's Password is free. Write for your copy today. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.